morning. I'm Rachel Wade Harper, your worship associate for today. Our reading comes from Mary Oliver. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coins from its purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measles pox, when death comes like an iceberg between the shoulder blades, I want to step through the door full of curiosity, wondering, what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness? And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And I look upon time as no more than an idea. And I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy and as singular. And each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it is over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. There's one thing I've learned from hiking in the mountains of Montana is to never trust a travel guide ever about the mountains of Montana. This past June, my husband and I were in Montana in Glacier National Park, and we wanted to go check out some of the early trails when we first arrived, the more popular ones, and we realized that it was crammed with people, and there was no way we were ever going to get to that trail that day. There were no buses, there were no, bicycles were off limits at that time, there was just no way we would get there. And so as we're leaving the park, we see a sign for a trail called the Apgar Mountain Outlook. And we looked it up in our little guide and it said, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of a hard, easy, moderately easy, moderate, medium. It was very clear that it, this wouldn't be too much of a journey for us up this mountain. Our first warning is when we arrived and the mountain was no, the trailhead was nowhere to be found. Just a trail full of horse droppings and horses that was specifically for horses to go on. We had to drive another two miles across rocky, muddy terrain, and we ran into two college students who were also looking for the trailhead as well. And they followed us, probably wondering where on earth we were going, <laughs> around a creek and starting to inch upward on a dirt road with no curb or shoulder to support us should we get too close to the edge. And then we arrive, a gravel parking lot, and we start on the trailhead. 
And as we're going, we're like, oh, this is relatively easy. The trees are beautiful. The path is well-maintained. Look at all of the wildflowers and grasses and hear the birds singing. It is glorious. About five minutes later, we were cursing the name of that trail (laughs) without end. It was with, I am not making this up, it was essentially this kind of incline as we were going, oh, that was a wrong move. Um, As we were going upward, (laughs) don't take pictures of this. As we were going upward, and we were suddenly, my husband and I, two mid-30-year-olds, put to absolute shame by these young 20-year-olds from college. As they were skipping along as if it was nothing, we were dying (laughs) going up this mountain. Slowly but surely, one of uh, the college students was not in as good of shape as his friend there, and he was glad to have us with him, two old guys who were struggling (laughs) to get up the mountain. What made matters worse is that as people were coming down, folks who were obviously in their 60s and 70s going, oh, it's real easy, don't worry, you're almost there. And every time they lied, we were not almost there. (laughs) We were not almost there. But as we're going, as we're out of breath, as we're feeling the heat beating down on us, it was the one clear sunny day. As we were starting just sweating and, and wondering if we could make it and hurting everywhere, our attention finally started to turn toward the side, down the side of the mountain, and we saw the great expanse of the park opening up before us. Mountains in the distance, a nice little fog and haze nearby by a lake. We thought, this is good enough. We could quit now and say we did a, we did a we, well done, right? Well done on this hike. But we pressed on, realizing that we came here to climb mountains, to not just go on the easy trails, and we were going to make it to the top, nearly 3,000 feet into the air. And as we finally came to the end, the skies opened up and cold rain showered all down on us which was glorious, but we couldn't see a thing. (laughs) But as we made those final few steps to the top of the mountain, there before us opened up a view unlike any view we had seen. All the major peaks of the park you could see into Canada as well. The sun was shining through the rain just enough to see the peaks of every single mountain before us. And it was glorious and well worth the pain of the hike. I remember that story because first it's humbling. There we are on the top of this mountain and suddenly I realized Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote in his book Nature, previous generations have beheld God through their own eyes, we through theirs. Why should we not have an original relation to the universe? And in that moment on top of that mountain, I understood what it was to behold God face to face. Not a supernatural sense of God, but this feeling of being connected to everything, of opening up to my place in these mountains, and also being humbled by the fact that I am this little tiny speck before these mountains that will be there long after I am gone from this planet. Long, they may last the, top, the, the entire age of the planet. When the sun finally expands and consumes the earth, those mountains will still be there. And all of us will be long, long gone. 
I thought of that Emerson quote as we got up there and was thinking, wow, why do we not have more experiences like this? Why are we publishing books talking about our disconnection with nature, our disconnection with the beauty that is surrounding us right in this moment, right here and right here as well? Why are there studies being done about how are nature deficient? Why are the bestseller books, the nature fix, being on the shelves and flying off the shelves and people are hungry for this? How are we not having opportunities where we just go, wow, look at this before us? This is a story that I love to share because we all have moments like this. Think back to a moment that you've had where you have felt connected to everything around you. It could have been as simple as a daffodil, the leaves falling from the trees outside. It could have been the first buds of spring or even the quiet of the snow falling. It could have been something you didn't expect at all, but it made you go, whoa, this is what it is to be a citizen of this world, to be part of everything. When was the last time you had a moment like that? When was the last time you felt yourself catching your breath, your heart beating faster, and that moment of, whoa, here I am, alive, for however long I might be, but here I am, alive. It's not just the transcendentalists who talked about these experiences. This is nothing new. There was a great Catholic theologian from the 14th century, Meister Eckhart. Some of you may have read him and loved him. And he was accused of heresy in the end by the Pope. Um, even after his death, the Pope still signed the accusation of heresy because he wanted to make an example of Meister Eckhart. But Meister Eckhart said something very scandalous that, that in that time for the Catholic Church in the 14th century. Imagine, he said, God is only alive if we do good works and we live our lives to the fullest. That was scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. Even today, some folks would go, what are you talking about there? But any sense of the divine is entirely dependent on us taking hold and experiencing life and feeling that connection to everything. And so Meister Eckhart, of course, as happened with folks that were scandalous, um, Blessedly, you know, he passed away before he was brought up on trial, before he was executed. Um, by his own order, I should add, the Dominican order of preachers, his own order, uh, brought up the Inquisition but still said, oh, we support you, we support you, but you're a heretic. You're a heretic. They might have known that he was getting uh, not well in his age and he was not long for this world. Um, but yeah, he was, he was accused of heresy uh, for naming that experience. And you don't need to look far. It's not just Catholicism. It's not just Protestantism. It's Islam, the, the, the Sufi mystics. It's any indigenous experience of religion that we see, whether it's in North America or Africa or Australia or across the world. It's Unitarian Universalism that encourages us to feel that transcending mystery and wonder in the here and the now that experience of opening up to everything before us. I feel that's vitally important for all of us to experience, especially as Unitarian Universalists. Our principles are rooted in the here and the now. Right here, right now, this one life that we are assured of. 
And our principles don't come alive if we defer them to some distant date that we cannot name. Our principles come alive if we experience and embody them in this moment, in what we do after this service today, in what we do on Monday when we have to go back to work, or if we're retired, we try to figure out what to do with our day, or we go meet friends for coffee, or we join that club, or we... Um, take up some new hobby or whatever it is that we are engaging in our lives, it is up to us to make them come alive every single second of the day. But I also share this and remind us of what it is to feel that connection because I've shared very openly with you, I'm a religious naturalist. That is my path. That is how I engage this world, which is really a fancy way to say someone who doesn't necessarily believe in the supernatural but loves nature. And to sum up religious naturalism in one three-sentence phrase, or three-word sentence is, nature is enough, period. Nature is enough for us to gain a full understanding of this world and our universe, and right now, science is the best way of engaging that. Nature is enough for us to feel wonder and awe and to find meaning. Nature is enough for us to be inspired to justice, to be inspired to good work in this world. Because if nature is enough, then we are a part of nature, and it's up to us to ensure that justice comes alive. But I also share this because I feel that we all need to find those moments again and again. It is not just the mountains that you are hiking in, those grand experiences that some of us are fortunate to have. I'm very fortunate to have gone to Glacier National Park. And I'm reminded, real quick, of a, a Zen haiku poet that I discovered recently, and his most famous three-line haiku, his name was Santoka Taneda. And he was a Zen priest who had a problem with sake. And so he was never an abbot of a temple. He was never someone that was in charge of students. And he would just wander Japan, begging with his bowl and walking with his staff. And he, his most famous haiku goes, the green mountains. Deeper I go, and still deeper, the green mountains. Simple lines of his journey. Sometimes people think, oh, haiku needs to be 575 or 353 or whatever. The point of a good haiku is that it ends with a realization of where you are. The green mountains. Well, we're not in the mountains right now. Have you noticed the yellow buckeye out on this property before? The leaves have fallen off, but you can still go out there and find a buckeye. Deeper we go and still deeper, the yellow buckeye. Deeper and still deeper we go, the fallen leaves. Deeper and still deeper we go, this community right here, right now. I share that from Santoka Taneda because it's a reminder to open our eyes, to look around us, to feel what we feel, to breathe the good air around us, to realize the trees. Perhaps you've never noticed the coffee tree out in the parking lot. Deeper and still deeper you go, the coffee tree. Do not try to brew it. <laughs> deeper and still deeper we go, the unbrewable coffee. This all boils down to the expression that Mary Oliver had for us in her poem today. And Mary Oliver is a very common poet in Unitarian Universalist circles, but if we pay attention to her words, she's asking us some questions. 
from her own life. She's now departed. But have we just been visiting this world? Have we just been deferring what we consider to be holy to something that we cannot name or see or define? There's an author named Chet Ramo. Uh, he was a Catholic most of his life, and he still considers himself a Catholic in many ways. And he wrote a book called When God is Gone, Everything is Holy. It was about his realization that where he was placing his holiness in life was making him forget the beauty around him. That if our entire sense of holiness is in some other that is unreachable forever, that we can never attain in this life, what small miracles and holiness are we experiencing right now, right here? Now, he goes on to say, it doesn't matter if you do believe in a god or a goddess or gods, but are you investing your entire sense of what is holy in that notion? Now, I've been clear with folks that I don't particularly affirm any deity, and I've experienced some folks being, you know, very, uh, you know, not enjoying the fact that there's an atheist minister, and atheist uh, uh, discrimination is still a thing, and I want to acknowledge that, and and let everyone here know that is either agnostic or atheist or humanist or naturalist, however you define it, there are so many ways to define it these days, that you have it within you to find holiness in the here and the now. It's not a holiness that angel choirs are going to open up or are going to descend on us. It's a holiness in the buckeye you find out in the courtyard here. It's a holiness in the leaves. It's a holiness in the people sitting right next to you. It's beautiful temporary, fragile moments of life. It's the green mountains. It's the choir singing. It's the people responding. It's the actions and justice that we commit ourselves to as Unitarian Universalists. And so this is a reminder to all of us, whether you affirm a deity or you don't, that is all welcome here in Unitarian Universalism. But it is a reminder to look around you this building was designed to force you to look around you. Just take a moment and look. And look to the people next to you. Look to that glorious here and now. Are you a bride to amazement? Or are you just visiting this world? Blessed be. Amen.